I'll be reading from Nehemiah chapter 4, 13 through 15. Therefore I stationed some of the people behind the lowest points of the wall at the exposed places, posting them by families with their swords, spears, and bows. After I looked things over, I stood up and said to the nobles, the officials and the rest of the people, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your families, your sons and your daughters, your wives and your homes. When our enemies heard that we were aware of their plot and that God had frustrated it, we all returned to the wall, each to our own work. Amen. Thanks, Jason. Leadership guru John Maxwell tells the story about a man who came across three bricklayers hard at work. And he asked the first worker, what are you doing? And the man said, I'm laying bricks. And so the man asked the second bricklayer, what are you doing? And the worker responded, I'm putting up a wall. And he asked the same question to the third worker, what are you doing? And the third bricklayer said, I am building a cathedral. You know, when we know our why, then our what takes on new meaning, doesn't it? When we know the reason why we do what we do, then it gives what we do meaning and purpose and fulfillment and direction. And when our why is something that really matters, when our why is something bigger than us, when the reasons we do what we do transcends our own lives, our own needs, our own desires, our own circumstances, then, then we are inspired. Then we are motivated. And we will persevere. We will even persevere through opposition, through adversity, because the reason we're doing what we're doing is so critical, is so important. Nehemiah was called and commissioned by God to go back to Jerusalem and build, rebuild, the wall around the city. And as he began this process, recruiting workers, and they began rebuilding the walls, there was lots of opposition. And the people came to a crossroads. They had to make a choice. Will we give up or will we get to work? If you read in the text, it literally says they are surrounded by various people groups who are opposing what they are trying to do. They are against the work of the Lord being done in the city of God, Jerusalem. In fact, it says in the text that the people are afraid. They're afraid that when they lay their head on the pillow at night, that these enemies are going to come in. They're going to sneak in and they're going to kill the people and put an end to the work. What will they do? Will they give up? Or will they get to work? They're afraid. If a people ever needed to be reminded of the why, it was the Jews in Jerusalem in Nehemiah's day. If a group ever needed to know and remember the reason for doing what they were doing, it was these people. And Nehemiah will explain to them, but it's interesting because the why is also wrapped up in the who. You see, they are rebuilding the wall to provide protection for God's people in Jerusalem. But it's much more than that. It's much more than a building project. They are called to do this so that they can reclaim God's people, the identity, the purpose of God's people in God's city. 
They are doing it for future generations, their children, their grandchildren. It's not just for them. It's not just putting up a wall. There's so much involved. But Nehemiah knows they need to know more than the why. They need to know the who. So notice what Nehemiah says in verse 14. After I looked things over, I stood up and said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, don't be afraid of them. Who's them? The enemies, the opposition, the adversaries, the people that are surrounding you. Don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your families, your sons, your daughters, your wives, your homes. Nehemiah says the why and the who overlap. So fight for your families. You're not just building a wall. And don't forget, don't forget who it is that has called you, who it is that works with you, who it is that is fighting for you. Because it doesn't matter who is against you. If God is for you, you're going to be okay. Things may not go as you plan. You may go through difficult times. The opposition pressing in on these people may be very effective. But at the end of the day, if God wants something done in this world, it's going to be done. And if we're a part of that, God is going to take care of us. Nehemiah knew what the psalmist wrote in Psalm 127, verse 1. Unless the Lord builds the house, its builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the guards stand watch in vain. You see, unless God is behind what we're doing, then we are wasting our time. Unless we realize the who, we will lose sight of the why and the what probably won't even get done. When it comes to doing God's work in our world today, the what, the why, the who, they all point to God, who God is and what he's doing in this world. And in Nehemiah's day, God certainly wanted something done. Back in verse 15. When our enemies heard that we were aware of their plot and that God, God is at work, that God had frustrated it, we all returned to the wall, each to our own work. Notice that phrase, each to our own work. I don't think that's insignificant. Nehemiah says, everyone got back to work. Despite the opposition, even in the face of fear, regardless of the threats, and even though they were in a culture, you might say, that was against them, God's people began doing God's work. And you'll notice that as they got back to work, their jobs became more specialized. As their circumstances changed, they needed to adapt to those circumstances. The same is true for us. The why, the who doesn't change, but maybe how you do it changes. You adapt to your culture, your circumstances, not losing sight of who has called you or why you do what you do or even what you're doing but maybe how you do it changes. Back in verse 16. From that day on, half of my men did the work, while the other half were equipped with spears, shields, bows, and armor. 
Nehemiah says, we had to change some things. We had to specialize. Not everyone could work on the wall. We needed workers and warriors. Some worked on the wall while others kept watch. Some were outfitted with tools while others were armed with weapons. Some even had both, the text says. Some of the workers carried a sword on their side. And some of the people who carried supplies carried supplies in one hand and a weapon in the other hand. Can you imagine how difficult that might be? They even put guards out at night to keep watch. And everyone, the text says, slept with their clothes on so that they were ready to go. They were ready to go if there was any threat. Nehemiah even organized an alert system. If there was a threat, they would all get an emergency notification on their cell phones at the same time from the government. Did you get your notification this week? That was interesting, wasn't it? The people who got it seemed to be annoyed. And the people who didn't get it seemed to feel left out. So everyone complained. What's new, I guess? Now, his system wasn't like that, but it wasn't, it wasn't too different. Because the workers were all spread out, Nehemiah had someone near him with a trumpet. And if he saw any threat or heard of any threat, he would tell his trumpeter to sound the alarm. And everyone knew when they heard that to gear up and come running. You see, Nehemiah led the people. And he led them in such a way that they didn't just work harder, they worked smarter. Even though they knew God was behind it all, that God would grant them success, they didn't excuse them, they didn't give them some way out to say, well, we'll just do what we've always done and God will bless us. As the church in the 21st century, we are called to do the work of God in our day. We are called to make disciples of all nations, including our nation, including our community. And there is great opposition against the work of God in our world today, isn't there? Certainly in our own country, it seems. We have a culture that is hostile toward Christianity in many ways. We have division, we have hatred, we have so much going on. And we are at a crossroads as the church, as Christians. What are we going to do? Are we going to give up or are we going to get to work? Maybe we need to remember our why and our who because you cannot separate those two. Why do we make disciples? Why do we actively spread the gospel? Why do we try to say things and do things to bring people closer to Christ? Well, first of all, we do it because we're told to do it. We're commanded to do it. I think sometimes we forget the first two words in, in what we call the Great Commission, Matthew chapter 28, verse 18. Do you remember what Jesus says before he goes up to heaven, after he's been resurrected, before he goes to heaven, he gathers the troops, he gives them this charge, go and make disciples of all nations. But look how the text starts. All authority has been given to me. All authority in heaven and on earth. All authority. We sometimes just kind of skip over that part, don't we? We don't even notice that part. This isn't a suggestion by Jesus. 
Jesus isn't just our friend. Jesus has all authority. And when someone with all authority tells you to do something, you know, I think we probably should do it. So why do we make disciples? Why do we do God's work in our day? Because Jesus, who has all authority, has commissioned us to do that. But just like the people of Nehemiah's day, we also do it not just for us. We do it for future generations. Just like those who have come before us have done the work of God. And we're thankful for them. We do it for our children and our grandchildren. We do it because God has positioned us in a very unique and special place. And he's blessed us in so many ways, so many resources, so many opportunities. And we can choose to invest those resources and use those opportunities to benefit ourselves or we can use them to do the work of the kingdom. Why do we do what we do? Why do we do God's work in our day? We do it because we are among people every day who are living and dying apart from hope, apart from forgiveness, apart from salvation that comes only through Christ. If we truly loved people, we would tell them about Jesus. We would share Jesus with them. So as Nehemiah surely said to his people, let's get to work. Let's get to work. Each to our own work. Which means we may not all do the same thing. We may do things differently. We are gifted in different ways. Nehemiah had workers and warriors, wall builders and watchmen. Different jobs required different people, equipped in different ways. But all of them joined together to accomplish the overall goal of God's work, which in this case was building a nation. I want you to hear today, I want you to hear that you are uniquely positioned. You are uniquely gifted. You are uniquely equipped by God to do something that matters, to do something significant. Surely life is about more than just doing the same old thing every day. It's got to be. Think about in every work of God, in every story of personal transformation, in every conversion, it is in many ways a story. And in those stories, there are different characters who play different roles. Think about your own life. If you're a Christian, my guess is that there are different people along the way that contributed to you moving closer to Christ, right? There's probably someone who opened up the scriptures with you, maybe multiple people, someone who encouraged you, someone who invited you to church maybe, someone who raised you up to know and love Jesus, someone who listened to you, who prayed for you, someone to whom you could be accountable, someone who supported you, someone who literally facilitated you getting to church or being in a community of faith, someone who spoke in a way that inspired you, someone who listened in a way that comforted you. My guess is in your story, there are people along the way who play different roles. That's the beauty of the body of Christ. We're all different parts of the body but we function 
doing our own parts as one body. Some of us are in the background, others are more up front. Neither one of those is more important than the other. There are so many things to be done for the glory of God, to advance the cause of Christ. So as we think about who we are and what we are doing, certainly we think about what God is doing through our mission efforts here. As we've already said, Commission Sunday is next week. And I wanted you to hear from someone who is on the front lines, someone who is in the trenches. Not all of us are missionaries, right? I mean, we need people to send missionaries. We need people to support missionaries, to encourage missionaries. But certainly, we need people who are out there, out there on the front lines. And so this morning, I've asked John Shattig, one of our missionaries who served for many years in Logan, Utah, and now is in a time of transition to Ecuador, to come up and share a few words just about what it means to partner with others in the work of the kingdom and the work of spreading the gospel. If you haven't met John and Jill and their family, you need to meet them, a wonderful family. It's been a blessing to have them as a part of our congregation for the past few months. And so I've asked John to come up and just share a few words of what it means from a missionary's perspective to partner in spreading the gospel. John? So many things I want to say that I don't have time for, but something that sparked uh, just in this lesson this morning, we talked about the people that are involved in your lives that are uniquely equipped and positioned in your life. It made me think of uh, the man who taught me the gospel, uh, Joe DiGiorgio, definitely uniquely positioned in my life at the right time, at the right place to reach out to me and disciple me. That uh, really puts me where I am today. But everybody has their own place. Everybody has their own gift and their own part in missionary work. So I'd like to start off by taking a survey. A survey of uh, people here. I don't know anybody here really, uh, what you've done all your lives, but raise your hand if you were a farmer and you relied on that one crop at one time each year to provide your entire income for the next year. Raise your hand if any of you were farmers and you had to rely on that one crop. Do I have any hands this morning? Nice and high, nice and high so I can see them. Okay, one, two, three, four. Not too many of those nowadays, especially in Edmond. But I grew up on a farm in western Nebraska, dryland wheat farm, where we prayed for rain because it didn't rain like it does here. And, uh, you know, being raised on a farm with one crop that provides the entire income for your family gives me a unique perspective, a deeper perspective on the particular parables that deal with the harvest. We talk about making disciples and we talk about the harvest and you turn to John 4 verse 35 through 38 and it says, Jesus says, do, do you not say there are yet four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields that they are white 
for the harvest. Already, he who reaps is receiving wages and is gathering fruit for eternal life, so that he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. For in this case, the saying is true, one sows and another reaps. And yet, I sent you to reap that for which you have not labored. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. You see, all of us have our part. We don't sow and reap and do all these things all by ourselves in a little closed bubble. As a church, we all have our part and we all do it together, whether we're a young adult or we're retired. It reminds me of uh, <clears throat> a field that my father gave me. I was in high school and I wanted to take a photography class. And in this photography class, you have to provide your own camera. And I begged my dad, I said, Dad, Dad, I need this camera for photography class and I really want to take it. And of course, you know, this wasn't a required class. And my dad's like, you think, you know, money grows on trees? No, it's out in that field waiting to be harvested. But to make it more personal, he, he looked over, we were driving past one of our fields and he looked over, he said, see that strip right there? That strip is yours. You plant, you sow, you take care of it, and whatever you get out of that field is yours, and you can buy the camera. You see, that gave me a deeper perspective, and, a, and it, I was invested now in that particular field. Now, every time I drove by that field, I thought, I looked, is it growing? Is it going to produce? How much is it going to produce? And we had particular fields that we would spread our, uh, we also had cattle, we take manure and spread manure on the fields the year before, and those fields always produced more. And of course, the field he gave me was on a different section, and, and I said, Dad, can I, when I spread manure over here, can I take the truck and spread manure on my field? See, see now I was invested in my field. And really, that's where you guys are at. You're invested in the mission works around the world, some stateside, some local. You're invested in that. That is your field that God has given you at this unique time, at this unique place. We happen to be going to Ecuador. So how can, how can you encourage missionaries like myself and others that that is our passion, that is our desire, that is our full-time work, and we rely on God to provide for our families? How can you encourage us? I'd like to start off with a really short example of an actual discouragement that I experienced over my years of doing missionary work. I was uh, giving a report at a particular congregation, and uh, afterwards we were back in the foyer, and I was talking with a member of the congregation, and, and they uh, were, asked me, you know, who are you, what are you doing, everything, and I was, I was kind of surprised that they didn't know who I was, because this congregation had supported me for a while. And so I said, well, let's, uh, let's go over to the mission board here. And they had this huge map out in the foyer and had, you know, pins where all their missionaries were and strings coming back to that particular city and, and the newsletters and pictures of the missionaries up by each pin and everything. And as I walked over to the board, I was going to show them my picture and show them my newsletters that I had sent and everything. And I got over there and mine wasn't there. And that was just a moment of discouragement for me. 
because I thought, well, why? And how long have people not known that they've been supporting me and haven't been able to read of the harvest? So here's some positive things that you can do to encourage missionaries. You know, providing support is an obvious one. You provide the money to buy the seed to sow, if you will. But it goes much deeper than that. Visiting your missionary is essential. Key part of encouraging the mission work and the missionaries you support. Uh, cards and letters. Of course, today it's uh, emails and text message and Facebook and all those things. One of the most precious things that we've received from this congregation specifically, other, we've received from others, but specifically this one, my wife told me to get more specific at this second service, was a, a bound book of paper papers, individual papers that the Bible class teachers had put together with the kids writing a, a letter in their own words or their own pictures if they didn't know how to write yet to say thank you. To support us as missionaries. And that was precious. That was encouraging. So Bravo to you, Bible class teachers here in Edmond. And you know who you are that have done that for us. Edmond has been fabulous, has done a fabulous job in supporting us the short time that you supported us in Utah. I want to make that clear. The last thing that you can do to support us is to pray. Pray for our protection. And you, sometimes we don't think about prayer as being like we're talking about Nehemiah standing there with the sword and guarding the work while the work is being done. But your prayers can be that guard as I'm doing the work. Your prayers are that guard. You think of Daniel when Daniel prayed and we don't realize everything that's going on in the spiritual realm. We can't comprehend that fully of what the angels are doing fighting for us as we spread the gospel. So we pray for our protection, pray for our courage to go out and teach and preach and mostly pray for our endurance because sometimes missionary work can be a very lonely job. That is what my wife and I cherish, I think, the most is when someone shares that they've been praying for us. And so as you pray for us and as you pray for other missionaries, uh, remember that through those prayers, through the visits, the cards, the emails, the Facebook messages, whatever, all of those things are critical in supporting us and helping us as missionaries. Now, I didn't tell Randy I was going to do this, but one more minute. As preachers, we just can't stop. I'm going to put in a little plug you know, we are going to Ecuador, <clears throat> and uh, there are, I'm going to a place where there's already established weeks where people can come. You can coattail 
on mission trips where people from different congregations come together and they'll do a whole week where it's a medical mission week in the rainforest of Ecuador. Uh, we also have construction weeks, we have evangelist weeks, we have youth weeks. All these things are already there. Or maybe you want to put together your own group from Edmond and come down and do something specific. But I just wanted to plant that little seed right now. And I'm sure I'll share more in the future about that. It's only a five-hour plane ride from Dallas. That's it. Ecuador is not that far away. Five-hour plane ride. And then you're in a beautiful country, and you can come and visit us. But thank you for praying for us. Thank you for encouraging us. Thank you, John, so much for sharing those insights and for what you and your family are committed to doing for the kingdom of God and the souls that you are helping save. Thank you so much. Well, as we wrap up, it's just a good reminder for us to know that, that no one can do everything, but everyone can do something. And that's not original with me, but I think it is a good reminder to each one of us that the work seems overwhelming, doesn't it, at times? I mean, even just sharing my faith with my neighbor seems overwhelming. I can't save the world, but I can do something. And so my question for you today is, what are you going to do? Because there's some opposition in our world, because sometimes it gets difficult to share your faith or to invite someone to church or to open up the, the word of God with someone, to have a discovery Bible study with someone or to mentor someone, because that gets difficult sometimes, because it puts us out of our comfort zone, are we just going to give up? Are we just going to say, let someone else do it? Are we going to say, I'm not equipped to do that? Are we going to remember our who, remember our why, and get to work? So what are you going to do? Nehemiah reminds his people, his workers, his warriors, not just why they do what they do, but who is behind them. In verse 20, he says, our God will fight for us. Don't forget that. It doesn't matter who's fighting against you. If God is fighting for you, you will be victorious. The church will be victorious. So what are you going to do? It's time to get to work. This morning as we conclude, we're going to stand and sing a song, and if we can encourage you in some way, if we can pray for you, you can come down front and we'll be happy to do that. We also will have a couple of shepherds and their wives in the parlor, which is a room right behind me. During this song, you can go out any of these doors, make your way around the hallway. They'd be glad to receive you in there and pray for you. Maybe today you're ready to give your life to Christ. You know that God is calling you to be a child of his, to be baptized into Christ and begin that life that honors him. And if that's the case, we'd be happy to celebrate with you this morning. If there's something we can do, we invite you to come as we stand and sing.